All right, I don't think there are any rules, so I'm going to say it again. Merry Christmas. And maybe the rule is, hey, you should say it as often as you can. Maybe that should be the rule, you know, right during this season. It is so good that you are here. I'm really glad that you chose to be with us today. I'm excited about this series, and I'm excited about the conclusion of this series, God With Us. If you've been with us the last three weeks, we've been talking about how sometimes it's hard through this season because we feel like we should be feeling something that we're not. And we've been talking about how God is with us in the valleys, He's with us in the wilderness, He's with us in the storm. And so today we're going to continue that into a conclusion I'll tell you about in a moment. But those three words are incredibly powerful. It's about Christmas, it's about the King who is here and that his kingdom has come, and that God is with us. And that's really a a neat concept that's more than just a phrase. Three words. It's kind of like, how powerful is this? I love you. Those are powerful three words, aren't they? I love you. Or how about this other one? We'll set it up a little bit. You just had a baby, you're a mom, and it's not going well and you're sleepless, and it's really not going well, and you've had multiple nights of sleeplessness, and it's really not going well, and you think you're going to lose your mind, and you've, you, you call your mother up, and you say, Mom, I haven't slept for two days. If I don't get some sleep, I'm going to die. And she says, I'll be there. That's, that's a powerful set of three words. It's like that. And uh, God has said those kinds of things, and he's more than just said them. He's coming to help us. And so this is an exciting, exciting time together. Now, today we're looking at the fact that God is with us always. God with us always. So what I'd like to do is um, back up to the beginning, okay? And so this is Christmas, and a lot lot of times we think of Christmas as that's where it all began. Well, no. No. That's not where it all began. That's where the new beginning began. We got to go back to the beginning beginning to get the whole story. So we're going to talk about how God is with us always and package it together as a whole story. So you need to pray for me because I'm going to do the whole story. And you really need to pray for me because my countdown clock is not running up here. Um, I don't know if you want to fix that because I just go and go and go. Okay, a little energizer, energizer bunny looks down and says, how much time do I have? And then I bring it to a close. So... We might just go till Christmas Eve. All right. Now, um, so, you know, yeah, the power of Christmas, you know, we love the lights and we love the culture and we love the cheer. We love the stuff. It's just pretty powerful. But that's not the power of Christmas. The power of Christmas is all about God with us because he sent his son Jesus to be with us. And we're going to try to unpackage what that means in the whole story. So we're going to make it really personal, though. I don't want it just to be about something a long time ago. We're going to make it really personal. So here's our focus. Watch out. Focus reads this way. If God is with us, why don't I sense his presence? Isn't that a powerful question? That's what this whole series has been about. If God is with us, why don't I sense his presence? Okay? Now, that's such a powerful question because I believe that the whole story is about that question. I mean, why am I not sensing his presence? The whole story is about that question. I'm going to get at this story with another three words. This, these are different words now. And here's the three words, and I think we can remember this. Here's the words, people, place, presence. I'm going to say those three. Ready? People, 
place presence. Now, because we've already had the focus, it's not presence as in unwrap the gift presence, okay? We're talking about the presence of God. If God is with us, why don't I sense his presence? Why don't I sense that he is here? And so we're going to take those three words through the whole story because these are key concepts that we can understand every page of history in God's story, his story, history. We can understand every page with these three words, okay? This story, when you start asking the question, where are the people at right now in relationship to God? And are, are they in the right place or the wrong place? And then what God is doing to bring them closer to his presence? Every page sort of deals with that story. I just read ugh, Judges, okay? I finished Judges this week, and I just thought, this is the, the most disgusting book. This is gross. This is bad. Never let your children read Judges. Did I just say that? Um, <laughs> Really, it's a, it's a horrible book. I used to, you know, love to tease junior hires because that would get him to read it. You know, do you want to read about the left-handed warrior who plunged his sword into the fat guy and the sword disappeared? They go, where is that? It's in the Bible? Yeah, judges. Anyway, um, <laughs> we're not going there. So we're going to look at the whole story through these three words, people, place, and presence. Now, just in case you'll forget that three days from now, I'm going to have you write it down. Point number one. Are you, your people, are you in the place that God desires so that you can experience God's unhindered presence? Are you in the place that God desires so you can experience God's unhindered presence? That's what the whole story is all about. And you discover on each page where the people are, even in Judges, oh, they're not in the place where they're experiencing God's presence. And God takes them through all of this and all of this to help them kind of get closer to where he's at. And so this should sound vaguely familiar if you've been coming to our church for some time, week two even, hopefully, or week after week, or month after month, or year after year, it should sound like our whole purpose statement, because our whole purpose statement is we help people take steps from to, hey, that's good. You even know why we're here, that we help people move from wherever we are, taking steps to where God wants us to be, and this is an unfinished project. I haven't arrived yet, Right? There are still steps I need to take to experience God's unhindered presence, and I'm not in the glorious presence of God where I see him and like him. There's still some movement and some change and some growth, and, and so this is a really relevant, uh, important story. So if somebody's not in the presence of God, and they're in a bad place, what's interesting, on each page, we see God on the move. We see what God is doing on each page of his story to help people to get to that place. Now, just in case you came here, not because you wanted to move, but because your mama said, it's Christmas, please do me a favor, will you come here? And you go, okay, happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, this is my gift to you, it's a lot cheaper than what you really want, and, and you're here today. Just in case that's you, here's my assumption and belief, God is on the move. You don't know it, but God is on the move, and he Worked it out to where you're going to hear how he is always on the move to help us draw near to him. So this is a really important concept. All right, let's go to the beginning. Uh, clock is reset. We're going we're gonna to try to fit this in. Good luck. Here we go. In the beginning, this is in Genesis now. Let's read Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Have you ever had the 
Bible suddenly challenge your assumptions? I mean, you had assumptions before, and I'm talking my assumptions. This week, my assumptions about Adam was totally challenged by this verse. I used to think Adam was created in the Garden of Eden. Take a look at the verse again. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Whoa, just challenged my assumption. I assumed he was created in the Garden of Eden. Wait, he was created somewhere else, then taken and put in the Garden of Eden? Hello, people. Movement, place, in God's presence. Ding, 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 ding. Hey, that's pretty, that's pretty wild. God took Adam from where he was and put him in a garden to experience his presence in a pretty unique way. There was no sin. They had a walking, talking relationship. It was pretty marvelous. God could have his party, a God party. And it was so great because in the God party, there's love and there's joy and there's peace and there's patience and there's kindness and there's goodness and there's faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is a God party all right there. But then the God party is just totally busted up. And what busts up the God party is in one word. Let's try that again. In one word, sin. All right, now we have to ask the question, where did sin come from? And that's what a lot of people ask. All right, if God's so good and he created a good world and says it's good, where did sin come from? All right, here's my version of where sin comes from. God is love and God wants to be loved. And he's in this, he's, he's a romancing God. He romances us to respond to his love. He doesn't want to overpower us. That's not love. Here, you have to love me because I'm God. It's like a lot of fun that is, right? So he always sets up that there's an option, the option to not love. And so even at the beginning, when there was no sin, he says, okay, okay, you can eat from anywhere except for there's this one rule, you can't eat that. And so they broke the one rule. They chose something else besides God to find what they thought would promise life and promise goodness. And they chose something else and something other. And sin is introduced because God allows us the freedom because he's love to choose to love him or the only way that's a possibility is there's a something else option. And so that's where sin came from. God allowed that freedom. Now, that leads us to a very personal question. And if you're a drug here, I'm in your face. Sorry. Here we go. This is the question. If you are not where God wants you to be right now, what is your something else? Your something other? You see, God sets it up for in all of our lives. We're not just talking about the whole story as we're reading in pages of God's revelation. Our lives are a story too. In our lives, he sets it up to where we can choose something else, something other as well. And when we do, there's going to be something that takes place where God's party is all busted up. Instead of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, self-control, that's just a quick list, um, we have frustration and rage and malice and anger, and short-fusedness. Okay, so that's not in the Bible, but that's, that's in the anger category. Short-fusedness. How do I know that? Because I chose something other. And I experienced the bust-up of God's party. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. But the good news is, when I'm in a place that I'm not supposed to be, God is on the move to bring me back to himself. And so this is the story of how 
The theologians call this how the fall took place and affects all of humanity, and not just humanity, all of creation, where there's a fallen world where death is entered in because now there's evil in the world, okay? Now we're going to move on, point two. How God made the impossible possible. So God is here, and he's holy. You just got to be patient with my little simple illustrations. He's holy, and we're not, okay? And he's going to do the impossible. He's going to make it possible for the holy and the not holy to have a relationship together. And at first, this tension, this impossible thing is really uncomfortable. It's mostly uncomfortable for God, but it's also uncomfortable for people to try to have a relationship with a holy God. And we're going to talk that through in the whole story and see how it develops. And so we're going to just move a few chapters. In Genesis 6, verse 5, we end up here. After the fall, it gets worse and worse and worse till we get to this place. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And we thought it was bad now. Okay? It's not bad now. Boy, there, the light, there is light in the world. We experience great joy, great grace, the presence of grace. Now, so not everybody sees it, but it's there for those who want to see it. There's still goodness in our world. There's goodness in each one of you. But at that time, in Genesis 6, every inclination of every human being, only evil all the time. So here's what God did. He took the whole world through the rinse cycle. Yeah. That's what you read in Genesis 6. The world flood through the rinse cycle. But he preserves one man and all those associated around that man. So a total of eight people around the man Noah saves the remnant. And out of the remnant, he's going to reboot the world and he's going to move his purposes forward. Okay? And we're going to see this cycle over and over again in the story. All right? So he takes the eight. He says, okay, class, fold your hands and listen to me now. I've said it before, but I want you to pay attention. There's only eight of you. You can listen. Here it is. You're going to go into the world, take dominion, be fruitful and multiply, and live all of life for my glory. Okay, say it with me. And they say, okay, we're going to go into the world, be fruitful and multiply, take dominion of the whole world for your glory. And so what do they do? They stay together, build a tower for making a name for themselves. It's like, are you kidding me? Right after this, we're just at chapter 11 now, and they start making a name for themselves, totally choosing other instead of glory to God. Don't you get this in your story too, though? We totally get it. I want to choose this good thing that's promising this great stuff, and I think it's really great, and it makes a name for me and makes me feel better, and it's my kingdom come, my will be done, and it's wonderful and it's other, something else. And so God has to cause their one language to be dispersed. In my brain, that's why we call it the Tower of Babel. They go, babble, 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 babble. Everybody's just talking, all different languages. And then they're forcibly, through different languages, spreading throughout the earth. But God has to reboot again. That's chapter 11. We're just going to move one chapter forward now to chapter 12. In Genesis, how long is this going to take? We're only in Genesis 12. We better speed this up. Okay, so <clears throat> the Lord, 
pulls one man now to reboot, to take a remnant and rebuild. And he promises these things to Abram. Now, I want you to look for the three words. Okay, you got to be tricky because the words aren't there. You got to look for the three concepts, all right? Go from your country. What's that? Place. It's the wrong place. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I'm going to move you now from your place to where I want you to go. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Okay, hold, hold phone right here. <clears throat> this is God's original intent. He wants to bless us. Why? To be a blessing. Okay? That was what he was doing with Abraham. I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing. But here's what we've done in America. We come to God, and we say, bless me, bless me. Bless my family, bless my wife, bless my marriage, bless my kids, bless the gifts under the tree, bless our Christmas, bless me, bless me. Help my kingdom come, my will be done so that I can experience a blessed life. It's so good to be with you, God. Thank you, thank you, because it's all about me. But it never has been all about me. It's always been to be a blessing, to bring glory and honor to him. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, we're going to move 10 chapters forward, because in order for this to work, this requires a test. God always tests. There's always something other, something else. Watch how he tests Abraham in chapter 22. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, okay, stop, stop, stop. We, we need to back up in the story where he says, okay, I'm going to make you an old man actually bear children. And he waits and waits and waits and can't bear children, so he goes with plan B and finds somebody that's not his wife and he bears a child. Nope, that's not it. That's plan B. I mean your child. Eventually he has a plan A child, Isaac, and he loves Isaac, his one and only son. And God says, okay, here's the test. You need to offer me Isaac. And we go, whoa, that's wicked, God, but this is only a test. Remember that? This is not a real emergency. This is only a test. The reality is coming later when God offers his only son. This is just a test that looks like that. We'll see how you do with this test, all right? So, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, so an angel shows up and says, stop! And then the test is over. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Great job, Abraham, you passed the test and now here's the promise. You're gonna have an offspring that will bless the entire world and what Paul notes is the word offspring is a collective singular and he says there's a singular person through whom the whole world will be blessed and he will be a descendant of Abraham. God's one and only son. Hey, we're getting to the Christmas concept close here, okay? And this is what's gonna take place in the future. So, now we're going to get personal. Here's a statement. When I choose to love God more than anything else, I discover more, not less. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure God is not going to ask you to sacrifice your children, okay? But whatever he asks of you, here's what we end up going. Whoa, whoa, I can't, I can't do that. I can't give that. I can't give all of that. He says, love me with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. All? Oh, that's too much. The more I, I give away, the less I have. He says, no, it never, never works like that. 
if you love with all, if I am your only obsession, every other obsession takes apart from you, takes away from you. No, if I'm your only obsession, I'll give you more. You'll experience more, not less. Believe it. Abraham showed it to be true, okay? Here's another thought. Anytime you choose something other, you choose something less. Now, let's speed the history forward. Even at the very beginning, when he promises stuff to Abraham, he says, okay, so I'm going to make you a mighty nation. You're going to have all these children and offspring, and for 400 years, your offspring, they're going to be uh, slaves. And, and what? <laughs> it's like, it's just really quick, just a real quick pass by. It's like 400 years of slavery. That's coming? Yeah, that's coming. And then there'll be a deliverance. And in that 400 years of slavery, um, there was silence. We sang earlier today, I don't know if it, you caught it, 400 years of silence was broken by the coming of the Lord. There's a pattern. I want you to keep seeing the pattern in all of this. So in Exodus, they're in bondage 400 years and then God sets up the first deliverance which is in pattern with the second deliverance after a different 400 years of silence. They come out of this bondage where God is not talking for 400 years and suddenly a bush starts talking. It freaks Moses out. It turns out to be God. And God says, here's what we're going to do. And then God leads them out. And then they wander in the wilderness. And God is talking every day. And they're miracles every day. And these people choose something other, something else, instead of God. So they wander through the wilderness. It's a pattern. And then God takes them through into their nation years and then you have the period of the judges. Remember I told you how awful that is? Then you have the period of the kings. And even that's not great for very long. Two kings were okay. Golden years, two kings. And then it starts going downhill. And God says, okay, you keep doing this. Here the prophets tell them, if you keep doing this, just like Moses said, I'm going to put you on time out. And it's what he said. I'm going to put you on time out. I'm going to take you out of your kingdom. You're going to experience like you did in Egypt before, but in other nations. And you're going to have silence again. And it's coming, it's coming. And then during that exile, other prophets spoke and said, here's what's coming. They come back to the nation. They rebuild their temple. And then there's 400 years of silence. And then the prophecies that came out of that before the 400 years begin to be set up. And so now we're ready for introducing Christmas. The key verse we use every work, every week, here's the verse. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It's quoting Isaiah, 700 B.C. It's after the 400 years of silence. The silence is broken. An angel has spoken to Zechariah. An angel has spoken to a young virgin. Another angel has confirmed to her husband because her husband is freaking. Oh, that can't be true. No, you can't be a virgin and having a child. It doesn't work like that. Then the angel confirms, yep, it, it is. This is what's happening. And it's fulfillment of this, Matthew says. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. One translation. Or God is with us. Another translation. But I want to explain that a little bit more. So we're going to move to John's explanation. John, this is how his biography of Jesus begins. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. It plays with our minds. It plays with the Jewish mind and their view of wisdom. It plays with the Gentile mind and their view of the Logos. And 
later on, we're going to discover, before I go there, we're going to discover that he ties it to a person. And this word becomes flesh. But right here, the word, God's communication, Jesus is God's communication. He's manifest communication. Okay? We sense him. We can see him. We can hear him. In fact, those people got to touch him, live with him. And he is God's communication. The word was with God. God created the whole world through spoken word. But Paul says, interestingly, that it is through Jesus Christ that the entire creation is created. And Jesus Christ is the word. So when God speaks, it's through Jesus, who's the expression, the manifest expression of God himself, that the whole system is created. He is with God and was God, verse 1-1. Now we jump to verse 14, and then in verse 14, here's what we read. The word became flesh. Oh, now he's talking about the incarnation. That's the theological term for when God became flesh. Now, if you can understand that, great for you. My mind just goes, how do you be both God, fully God, and fully man in flesh? But Jesus set aside his glory, descended into earth to do the impossible so that we could experience the presence of God. And we're going to watch how this plays out. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, one translation, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt in the Greek is skene. It's tented, tented. Let's go back earlier in the story. When they're delivered out of Egypt, God gave this massive blueprint with great detail about how to set this first tent up where God is going to be dwelling with his people in a tabernacle, a big glorified tent, a mobile home. Okay? And this mobile home is going to move from place to place and they're going to take the camp down and set it up in the mobile home of God living in the presence. And the... And a whole system is set up in the old covenant that is this awkward way of trying to have your sins covered through the sacrificial system in the presence of the tent before God who's dwelling with the people. And then, interestingly, the mobile home becomes a fixed home when they have their own place. Okay? Becomes a temple. Jesus arrives, and Jesus has the audacity to say, when you see that this temple is destroyed. If you destroy this temple, it will be raised in three days. That freaked people out. What? Who can destroy this temple? But later on, Jesus was talking, and they figured it out about his own body. He is God in the flesh, tabernacling in the midst of his people, tenting, living with. Destroy this tent And in three days, it will be rebuilt. He's predicting his resurrection. Now, earlier, before that statement, or maybe it's later after that statement, I'll have to review, he has said, now this temple that you see, it's coming down. A new order has taken place. This is going to be completely destroyed. The old covenant is gone. I'm setting up this new place. Now, he says to his disciples right before he dies, now, I've got to go away And this is a good thing. I've got to go away. If I don't go away, the Spirit cannot come upon you. All right, now I've set it up for the curveball conclusion to this wild, impossible thing that God has done. Point number three. He invites you to enter the person of God's presence and become that 
place. All right, none of you are jumping up and down. I'm going to have to explain this a little bit more. All right, so here we go. Jesus is the person of God's presence. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus prayed that as I am one with the Father, and I've experienced the glory of the Father, the glory of the Father is in me, and I am in him, may they also be in us and experience that same oneness. He says, I can, only if I go away will you experience this place, this place of unhindered presence where Literally, because of what I have done on the cross, now watch this, the old system was sacrificial. Jesus takes on the old system. Boom, boom. He becomes the Lamb of God. He says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God turns his back on his own son to do the impossible, to set us free from the consequences of our sin. Our sin is heaped on the Lamb of God as he takes it away and experiences hell in our place. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he's going to bury it and he's going to take it away as the scapegoat will be taken sin away. He is the fulfillment of the entire Old Covenant. And that's why he has the audacity to take the Passover meal and say, this is now the blood of my blood. This is my blood in the New Covenant. Who says such things? I'll tell you who. The Word who was with God. The Word who was God. The Word that became flesh and dwelt in our midst. He had the audacity to say these things. Some people have the reaction, I don't know if I believe all that. I don't know that I believe the Bible. I'm not talking about believing the Bible. I'm talking about believing history. Jesus really was crucified. Something happened. He was risen from the dead as he predicted. It exploded into growth. And this is the point, church. We don't come to church We are the church. We're the temple of God. Because of what he has done, we enter into the person of Jesus and the spirit of God enters into us. Our sin is wiped clean by the work of Jesus. Atonement covers us completely. We will be raised because he is raised. He will be with us always. We do not have to fear death. It's a good thing because here's what he does with his followers. He commissions them in Matthew 28. He has already risen. Right after this, he ascends before their eyes. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, I am with you always. They needed to hear that because they're going to be killed. They're going to be crucified. They're going to be eaten by lions. They're going to be burned at a stake. They're going to experience martyrdom. And they're still experiencing it today in other parts of the country where they're being killed for following Jesus. He says, don't worry. I've conquered death. You have nothing to fear here. God is with you. Always. I am with you. I am in you. You can experience unhindered presence in the presence of God. Take your sin to the mercy seat of Jesus Christ who is enthroned above the whole system, King of kings, Lord of lords, master, death conqueror, sin conqueror, king who is with us always. This is good news. Tomorrow, 
We're going to have four services and a short celebration that I kind of think is likened to this great commissioning where we have lit candles, all lit off of the candle. He says, I'm the light of the world. Then he says, you are the light of the world. You are the temple of the Spirit. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. You are my people. My mouth becomes your mouth. My feet become your feet. My love becomes your love. Take this light and change the world. That is what we'll celebrate tomorrow night. That is the power of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? Here's the uh, conclusion that I want you to be considering, praying with us as a declaration of your faith. Would you read that, please? Let's stand together. Just in case you're one of those that you're not sure why you came and oh, doozy, doozy, how did I get here today? But if you're starting to feel something inside, it's like maybe I need to check this out more. I don't think it'll hurt you to pray this out. You might just pray it out as a test of reality and see where it goes. But if not, feel free. There's always the option to not respond to the overture of love. God will keep moving. He'll keep coming at you. Let's pray it together. Dear God, I want to love you with all my heart. I need you. I'm prone to wander. I tend to see something else that seems promising to make me feel alive. But you are the life. You are the source. I need your love, grace, and mercy given to us through Jesus Christ so that I can experience your unhindered presence. You aren't just the means to a good life. You are the good life. I say yes to you, all in Jesus' name and for his honor, yours truly. Amen. Amen? Hey, I hope you'll join in with God's party today. Merry Christmas to you. I would really love to see you tomorrow night in that celebration as we celebrate the fact that he's made us the light of the world. I hope you can make that. And next week, I hope to see you too. We have a guest speaker, Derek Bocamp. Maybe you'll remember him. He's spoken here before. Quite humorous, quite good, great communicator. He's going to be setting us up for the new year with a message about uh, do first things first. You know, focus on the important first. He's going to talk to us about that. So I hope you'll join us next uh, Sunday as well. Have a Merry Christmas. Oh, and if you're carrying a load and you need some prayer, we've got a prayer team. Make sure you just ask for prayer. You can say whatever you want to or say, I just need you to pray for me. You don't have to say anything. Just whatever you'd like there, join them for prayer. See you tomorrow. Merry Christmas.